Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Well, here we are again, ladies and gentlemen. These two pesky people from Canada are back in the news. But I'm hoping, actually, that this might be for the very last time. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, not content with hoovering up appearance fees from American investment banks, not happy enough to disappear into the oblivion they claim they so crave, not satisfied with staying out of the limelight so that they can live their lives just like every other family. They've now decided to fire all 15 of their permanent staff in the United Kingdom. So much for keeping ties with this country and with the royal family here at home. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex, for yes, they are still out there besmirching the name of one of our great counties, have ruthlessly axed the very people they so heavily relied upon to promote their message. The victims of their newfound Canadian lifestyle include the newly appointed Private Secretary Fiona McKilwam, their Communications Chief Sarah Latham and Project Manager Clara Loughran, who actually handed Meghan her bouquet in church on her wedding day. So she wasn't just somebody who worked for them, she was clearly somebody that they had some high regard for. Once more, it looks like the Duchess of Woke has dumped some more people she doesn't need anymore. But things aren't going all that well. There's already a massive backlash kicking off in the US media after it emerged this week that Harry is talking to Goldman Sachs about how he can make even more money cashing in on his mother's death. It really is quite distasteful to watch. Can we please just cast them adrift? forever. And I promise if we do, I'll never mention them ever again. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll be talking to two Downing Street insiders about how the bloodbath reshuffle happened and where Boris Johnson Boris Johnson goes now. Robbie Gibb, former Director of Communications, joins us as well uh, as Katie Perrier, of course. And because it's Friday, it's time for the actual Perrier Awards. And I'm delighted to say that Marta is in the chair this week. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me and watching me live on YouTube, of course, uh, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet it is of course talk radio mid-morning with mike graham talk radio now of course we were told by all the people who's supposed to know about these things that it was all going to be very boring the old uh, reshuffle yesterday and as it was uh, the biggest story of the day seemed to be the fact uh, that boris decided to get rid of the northern ireland secretary it was the only guy julian lewis who'd somehow managed to get stormont back to work but it soon got a lot more hot and it soon got a lot more busy when sajid javid basically resigned because he didn't fancy the idea of working for boris johnson with a bunch less special advisers than he would have liked to have. Let's find out from Katie Perry what she made of it. Well, Katie, very good morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike. So, I mean, everyone says that they didn't see this coming, but, I mean, is that really true? Because I, my my take on this is that, basically, they gave, they made uh, Sajid Javid an offer that he had to refuse. Yeah, exactly. And we weren't expecting it. We were told during the election campaign by Boris Johnson that Sajid Javid's job was safe. Uh, and that he had lots of qualities to offer. He was going up in the world uh, and would be by his side for, for many months to come. And indeed, what we saw yesterday, I think, was a um, kind of showering of the former Chancellor in praise, uh, brought him in. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a telling off. It wasn't a tense meeting. It was a, you're great. I probably haven't used you enough. I want you in my inner circle more. I want you at my morning meetings, which is the kind of, you know, if you're not in the morning meetings, you're no one really, right. um, uh, with the Prime Minister. And uh, and then kind of dropped the bombshell, which was, but you have to get rid of every one of your advisors and you have to basically move into number 10 and, uh, and run a joint operation rather than it being the independent treasury. Right. And, uh, you know, you're quite right. Sajid Javid thought, well, I can't be seen. I can't actually be seen 
to, to say yes to this because A, I lose all my advisors, which makes me look very disloyal. And B, I become, you know, I get told what to do by number 10 every day. You and I am the creature. chancellor. Yeah. And therefore, if you respect the role of chancellor, therefore I can't, I can't, I can't say yes to this. So you're right. He gave him an op- opportunity to... Uh, or to an throw offer himself that, under the yeah, bus. Yeah, quite. He couldn't really, <laughs> couldn't really take up. Now, how did it work when you were there with Theresa May? Was it Philip Hammond in the, in the uh, Chancellor's office? Yeah, I do have some sympathy with the team at Number 10 because actually so many stories come out in the press about the rows between Number 10 and 11. You know, Boris Johnson is a Prime Minister. He's got an 80-seat majority. He has a mandate to govern and therefore he should govern in the way he sees fit. And therefore, if you want to move the Treasury into Number 10 or you want to do something different than before, then you have the right to do it and you should do it when you are at the most powerful because with every day that goes past, with every month that goes past, you kind of, you know, in politics... You have less power than when you started the minute you you won that massive landslide. And so I have some sympathy for them. Why have battles with staff and with with people month in, month out that you consider to be damaging? Or indeed, you have a chancellor that doesn't quite want to spend the money you want to. The rumour is that Sajid Javid wanted to be tighter on the purse strings, was quite wary of the fact that, you know, after um, Conservative Party took over, after quite a long time of Labour Party being in government. Their view is they got the finances back on track. They had a period of austerity. It wasn't very nice. They don't want to blow it all now. Uh, I think the difference of opinion is that number 10 are saying, nope, we're going to spend, we're going to spend big because we need to spend on infrastructure. We need to invest in jobs and communities that have been left behind, the reasons why they vote for Brexit. And therefore, we're going to spend some money. And, I, you know, if, if your chancellor doesn't agree with you on that, then you probably do have to make some changes. I think it's not necessarily about that. It's more about the fact that it's the way some of these things are done. And there's this kind of culture of, you know, I experienced it at number 10. I don't think it matters who's in charge. There's always this con- this, this power control of someone's on top, someone's not. And, you know, you're battling it out all the time. Because there wouldn't be any point, I suppose, in being able to actually rule the roost in Parliament, in the House of Commons. And yet, every time you came back to the office, there was some bloke sitting there just shaking his head going, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> exactly. And Theresa May found that with Philip Hammond a lot. Although Philip Hammond, uh, I think in, in, in future, we will look back and say, actually, he was a very smart guy that made sure that the books were uh, on track and didn't have this big black hole that he handed over to uh, the next person. I mean, Boris Johnson and Philip Hammond never really got on around the cabinet table, but Boris probably has a lot to thank him for, which is why Philip Hammond might end up still yet might end up in the Lords because he handed over a decent book. You know, he handed over where he, the, the books were balanced, that money coming in was closer to money going out than ever before, mm. uh, and and you know left left it in a good state to, to be able to hand over. And so uh, you know, I do think that that. My experience of Theresa May versus Philip Hammond, she wanted to spend more money on schools. He couldn't find, you know, he said, no, you need more of a case study Mm. as to why you need those school places in certain parts of the country. So, yes, you really, if you're Prime Minister, you want to go back and say, I want to make this happen. You're the man to find the money. Go and make it happen. Yeah. One of the things I want to do, come back on really quickly, Mike, if I may, is that, you know, you're the man. There are not enough women around that cabinet table. Yeah, do you know, I wanted to ask you about that because you've got a really interesting piece, I thought, a couple of weeks ago in the Sunday Times about job sharing and whether it would be something that people could do at that kind of level of government. And I actually, you might be surprised to know, thought it was quite a good idea. Thanks. Well, you know, I didn't think you'd be <laughs> first up there and fan base and that kind of article, but, you know, you live and learn. This is the thing, you um, see. I mean, I, we're so flexible here in the Independent Republic, you would not believe it. You would not believe it. I just thought that um, this is an opportunity for the government and Boris Johnson to show that um, we can be flexible, we can be different. If you want to shake it all up and really transform the way we do things, there is absolutely no reason at all that two really successful women cannot run one department. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason to split the money. You know, I'm not saying you need to spend lots more money, lots more time and effort. Um, and I think there are plenty of females in government that could absolutely have put themselves forward for that. Uh, is there um, anyone that you would like to see in the cabinet that isn't there at the moment from, from a female perspective? Yeah, I mean, um, Penny Mordaunt was appointed Paymaster General, which is a very important job, uh, but it is a ministerial role rather than a cabinet post. Yeah. And I would have her at the cabinet table every day of the week because um, she is exceptionally talented. And the first kind of person that, that, that falls around that cabinet table, I fully accept her mm. to expect her to go in, in, in that role uh, to fill their place because she really is cabinet material. She just backed Jeremy Hunt. She backed the wrong person. Yeah. Uh, and she's going to have to kind of climb, so she's still gonna have to climb the ladder a bit back make up to reparations get, to get there. For that. Yeah, okay. yeah, I mean, Tracy Crouch keeps on getting off of jobs, but I know that she wants to wait until her young son is older, and that is very admirable. So uh, maybe we have to wait a little bit longer to see her back in cabinet, but I fully expect her to be in there in future. Um, and I'm waiting to see, see what some of the um, more junior roles, because mm. 
there are people like Gillian Keegan who for Chichester, who is a relatively new MP. I think she's kind of 2015 intake, exceptionally talented, will be hopefully climbing the ladder very soon because um, she is someone that didn't go to university. She got an apprenticeship. She's, um, you know, from the north and talks about how we can get more young people into top line jobs by not traditional routes, which I think is absolutely music to Boris Johnson's ears. But of course, you're forgetting the most powerful woman in Downing Street, which is, of course, the woman that I'm constantly railing about. That is Carrie Simmons, the woman who has the Why ear do you of the rail about her, Mike? Well, because I think she's running the country, and that's what I don't like. And I think Boris is making some mistakes because of the fact that she's telling him to do stuff that I don't think he should be doing. I think she's getting him far too involved in the eco-plankery uh, of the Green uh, Brigade. She's getting him far too involved uh, in things things like HS2, which I don't think most of the public wants. And I think he's got to be careful that he doesn't have his girlfriend um, giving him policy decisions. Uh, but we're not around the breakfast table. We don't really know what's going on yeah, there. I do. mean, what we're told, what we are told by journalists in the lobby in the last 24 hours is that, you know, Dominic uh, is, is the man in control. Uh, and actually, what we've seen, if you asked me last month, who's going to win out of a battle between Sadie Javid and Dominic Cummings, yeah. I would have said Sadie Javid. I am right. wrong. Dominic Cummings has absolutely asserted power over everyone in that building, and I'd say uh, that across the board. So yes, no, I think that's true, and I think one of the reasons he won it yesterday was because he was actually feeding it out to the media himself uh, that he was losing his touch. Um, I don't know. This is Machiavellian kind of way of doing things. This is how I things. operate, you see. This is how uh, I recognise it, because that's what I do. I mean, if I want somebody to think that I've got absolutely... They've got nothing to worry about, I make out that I've, they've got nothing to worry about. Why would <laughs> I, you know, why, and then, and then they suddenly they've got something to worry about. <laughs> Get them where the guard's down, you mean? Exactly. Oh, you see, know. I like it. I like but, it. I mean, the thing about Dominic Cummings is he's an obsessive, right? He told us he was going to leave uh, Gov, the, 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 the Downing Street offices once Brexit was, was assured. Now, it is assured, um, but he's now decided he wants to hang around for a bit longer. He then said he wanted to uh, reform the civil service and that appears to have been put on the back burner for the moment. I don't know whether that's that's going to be picked up again. Um, but it's always dangerous to have an obsessive around, isn't it? Well, the thing is, though, is that when you look at... He, he reads his, writes these really long blogs that take about an hour to read and then when you click on the references that he uses, they, you can't understand a word of it unless you've got some kind of physics degree. <laughs> and so um, that's when I give up at that point. But But in between a lot of that stuff does have some kind of sparks of genius because there are some senior civil servants which you would think on paper hate Dominic Cummings. Mm. But when you look into it and you speak to them, they say to you, look, right, it is like trying to get something done in government is like trying to turn the Titanic yes. as it's about to hit the iceberg or mm. whatever. And it's, it's nigh on impossible. It's why I, I only lasted a year, Mike, because I like to get stuff done. Mm. You know, if someone's paying me to do something, I've got to do it. Otherwise, right. what's the point in getting out of bed in the morning? And so and it used to frustrate the life out of me that in government you could talk all day long and prevent lots of rubbish from happening but not really achieve anything. Mm. And Dominic does not want to waste a day. And so I actually think that, yes, some of the way that he behaves is un conventional um, and no, uh, controversial. I've got a great deal of uh, admiration for Dominic Cummings and I think if it wasn't for Dominic Cummings we would not be where we are on Brexit so I'm, I'm very happy Well, Jeremy Corbyn could be running the country, right? So... For God's sake. No, <laughs> don't even mention that name on this show. <laughs> You know, I, I think that there will be there will be bumps in the road yeah. and it will not be place staining and I'm not sure he'll last, you know, the five years with Boris Johnson. But if he wants to get stuff done, what he's showing is there is a different way of doing things. Yeah, and are you are you sort of recognising that it, it looks like a happy ship? Because, I mean, it's, it's kind of important. It does, I don't need it to be sort of happy-clappy, but I want them to be in, uh, in cahoots with one another and not trying to eat each other alive inside and behind closed doors. I've come to the conclusion I'm not sure it's ever a happy ship. I mean, you know, some of the stuff that's been talked about in the last 24 hours makes my time at um, number 10 look like Andrix puppies <laughs> and like stroking and putting and bones on And we know it dogs. wasn't that. And it certainly wasn't that. I've got yeah. scars to prove it. Mm. And so I, I think that maybe, you know, you look back in rose-tinted glasses and think, God, you know, we had some good times. But at the time when you're in there, it's long hours, no family, no daylight, uh, relentless trouble... And so um, I, I think that that's just the way it is. And that's the way that they, especially if they want to get stuff done, um, they're going to be you know, coming up against all kinds of roadblocks. But generally speaking, I think that people uh, felt, well, you know, they at least they made it clear. One of the criticisms that we had of Theresa May really was that she never really told anyone what she wanted. No. And therefore you could never judge whether or not you were delivering on the prime minister's requests. And now they are clearly saying what they want. And um, people are going back to their departments, their newly formed departments with their new special advisors, and they're waiting for further instructions. And the next move is, if you go back to number 10 and say, well, I'm the new minister and I've got this idea on this, they'll say, did we ask you for that idea? If yes. not, 
Why are you coming to us with that idea? You are meant to be doing what you're told to do. This is the will of number 10. And that's the way it's going to operate. Well, at least you're going to have some boundaries to work within and at least you can have some things that you can be judged upon. Yeah, it's got to be the complete opposite of the way that Theresa May's final sort of cabinet used to leak everywhere, as, you, as you're saying, because it was a joke in the end. I mean, there was hardly any two people in that room that agreed on anything, not least, you know, who should be told about what they just discussed. Well, you used to run around like a headless chicken. And yeah. I don't know if I remember telling you the story, Mike, but I used to think to myself, right, people used to come into my office and demand something because mm. the Prime Minister wanted it. And it took me about three months to work out, no, I don't think that's the case. So then I started doing it. <laughs> I thought if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah, exactly. So I used to rock up to meetings and say, the Prime Minister has demanded this by five o'clock. Yeah. Lo and behold, it would happen. And only about three months later, people would know that I too was making it up. <laughs> well, I mean, as you say, if you can't beat them, join them. Now, a couple of things to mention to you before uh, I let you go. First of all, uh, have you watched Plank of the Week yet, which is the new and burgeoning popularity uh, contest which is currently going out on Talk Radio TV? We film it every Tuesday. I would very much be honoured if you would join us and be a panelist on it at some I point. I would love to do it at some point. I know I've you're a very busy some, woman. I've seen some clips and everything. But the thing is, if Jeremy Corbyn had won, I'm, I'm saying that name again, even though you told me not to, I'd be out of a job. And it turns out <laughs> Boris Johnson won, and I'm really, really crazy Busy, trying uh -huh. to hire some more staff, so um, I'm going to get on with that. But I definitely will join you at some okay, point. Okay, brilliant stuff. Thank now, second of all, what about this business of mystique? Because you know, I don't really care that the prime minister goes to a very expensive island where I, by the way, have been. You'll be not surprised to know. I have um, uh, the, the Cotton House, one of the greatest hotels in the world, it sits atop it. But you know, the point is, is that Princess Margaret had a house there. David Bowie had a house there. Mick Jagger had a house there. Basil's Bar, brilliant place. I don't care that he went there. I am slightly troubled, however, by the fact that he can't remember who actually gave him the place to, to, to stay in? I just think that this is one of those things which um, it looks simple on paper, but when it starts to unravel, it shows that it really is a little bit more complicated yeah. than people thought. Uh, and probably no one right now knows who paid for it. And th that is a bit of a problem. I mean, he needs, to, he needs to get rid of it, though, doesn't he? It's a bit of a problem, but um, I think that sometimes people judge you on intent. Did you, did you intend to take a holiday from someone who is dodgy? We have no idea if they are or not. But, um, and did you intend to pull the wool over the public's eyes by doing so? I don't believe Boris Johnson did intend to do that. I believe it is truly a crosswise moment where it was, oh, oh, I thought that that was, that was paid for by that person. It yeah. turns out it's not. Right. Oh, my God, who did pay for it? Um, I'm sure that if it comes down to it, Boris Johnson will write our cheque and pay for it himself if he has to. But I think that it's not with intent. And I think it's very different when politicians try and put a fast one and they, sh they look shifty and I know, untrustworthy. I get that. I, get that. And I I'm don't not, think and Boris Johnson has tried to do that. No, I don't think he is. He has. And, I'm, and I would not criticise him for it either. But I just think he needs to sort it out and he needs to tell everybody what actually happened. I think they're just, trying to find out. On. Let's just move on, right? <laughs> I would say they're probably trying to find out okay. themselves. All right. And finally, uh, you're on this Sunday, I understand, at 4pm on Talk Radio. I'm mega looking forward to it. The reason why I'm looking forward to it as well is that Sunday, the first Sunday papers after a reshuffle yes. is full of gossip around what really went on, what really happened, who turned down what job, who said what to whom, who shouted at the Prime Minister. So the Sunday papers are going to be on my desk and be pouring through them. I'm going to be having some great interviews and I'm really looking forward Superb. to it. Superb. Casey, well, listen, I'll see you soon, hopefully. We still have to have that lunch that we still haven't had. That you owe me. Uh, is it me that owes you? Well, oh, listen, every time you anything, say the same not thing. Not a problem. Not a problem. Well, you just name the date and I shall see you there. See you Look there. forward to hearing you on Sunday. Katie Perry, a former director of communications at Number 10. Amazing woman. Top analyst. Incredible politician as well. She should probably be in the cabinet, to be honest. Uh, she's on from Sunday at 4pm four, uh, 4 to 7, right here on Talk Radio. We are on Talk Radio as we speak. Of course, we're also on YouTube. Go there now. Watch it. Like it. Subscribe to it. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, as I mentioned to you earlier, it is, of course, Valentine's Day, and I'm not going to do anything, you know, sort of cheesy, like, you know, let's talk to somebody about the nicest Valentine's cards you can send to people. We're not going to do any of that. What I want from you uh, is some funny stories about Valentine's Day that's gone wrong, because that would be far more entertaining, to be honest. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, you can text us at 87222. You can uh, tweet us at Talk Radio and at IROMG. Let's go to the phones, though, and talk about the cabinet reshuffle with Natasha, who's in Salisbury. Hi, Natasha. Oh, morning, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, very well. Just on the... Uh, yeah, I'll come to the bit I was going to ring you up about, but talking about Valentine's Day, I just remember when I was about 18 and oh, yeah. I'd been going out with this chap and he presented me with a... what I thought was a yellow rose in a box. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was a plastic one and I just <laughs> threw it out. He, he sort of did the Romeo and Juliet. He was 
downstairs calling me up from the window. Oh, yeah. And he threw it up, and I thought, oh, how lovely. And then when I saw it was plastic, I just thought... And that's shocking, isn't <laughs> yes, it? Because, I mean, I mean, without wishing to put too fine a point on it, you know, there was a time when, when plastic flowers really were horrible. I mean, now you can get those kind of linen ones, which are not it's quite that bad. It's when plastic was really horrible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. God, I hope you okay, dumped him so, straight away, did you? Sorry? Did you dump him straight away? Um, no, I didn't, actually, because he was a nice chap. I think he did it as a bit of a laugh. But oh, he I see. Laugh. Um, yeah, you're, one of your earlier um, commentators said that he would give the Conservatives 11 out of 10. And, um, yes, I thought that was a bit over-generous, to be honest. Well, it's a bit generous, especially at this early stage. Yeah. And I think the only thing... I think we've got to give the government a bit of a chance, although I think everyone's a bit bruised and battered with politicians in general yes. after the last few years. Um, I think, and I think Brenton O'Neill, on one of your um, talk shows, yeah. mentioned something about soft totalitarianism with the way people are allowed to talk or not talk and what they're allowed to say. And, and to me... This Conservative government would redeem my faith in politicians if they can get rid of this absolutely ghastly culture where, you know, we're all being watched about what we say and, um, you know, things like he's promising to bring 20,000 more police in. Well, OK, numbers are almost irrelevant if they're still going to be bound by this sort of politicised... Um, attitude that yes. they have towards people. You know, we're not going to deal with burglaries. My mother-in-law was burgled. She got nothing from them. Mm. Um, some friends of mine, uh, he intervened in a fight that was going on outside their house. Who did the police come for? Him. Yes. You know, so... They've really got to get a grip of that, haven't they? They've got to stop... Well, I can't say that word. They've got to stop sort of um, treating people for saying things that are perfectly normal yeah. and fact. And until you get rid of that culture from the police and business and a lot of other areas, it's not going to make any difference whether you have 20,000 more police. And you would hope the Conservatives, who are supposed to be the party of law and order, yeah. would be able to deal with this. Well, this is what worries me, because, I mean, don't forget, we've had a Conservative government now, mm. including the, the, one, the coalition one with the Lib Dems, for quite a long time. And Theresa May, who is roundly despised, right, by the, by the constabularies of this country, was supposed to be this hard-line Home Secretary and then Prime Minister, who was supposed to be kind of being tough on crime. But, but I, I don't know where it went wrong. No, it's, in fact, if anything, all this sort of PC and woke and rubbish has, has escalated in the past 10 years. And as you say, it's been a Conservative government. And I think one of the problems that would need to be addressed is something like the Equalities Act that was brought in in 2010, mm. where, you know, we're all equal, but actually some are more equal than others because they're protected characteristics. Yes. We, know we're, we should be treated all the same. Um, you know, and it, it's just everywhere. I mean, in my work um, dealing with patients, if I forget to put their ethnic category on the screen... Wow, got big flashing red lights really? on the screen. You know, get that category in. And it makes you think, my God, we're just living. Yeah, really. What it's, if you get it wrong? Well, well... I mean, are you allowed to ask people what their ethnic category well, is? Well, it absolutely it's interesting. Uh, a lot of the time, it's pretty obvious yeah. that we, we don't. Um, if you have somebody that perhaps isn't quite so obvious, mm. but you see whether they're... Um, ethnic minorities or the sort of indigenous white population, if you like, whatever, people don't like being asked. No. And it's actually really uncomfortable. No, I was going to say, I mean, it's an absolute minefield by the sounds of it, because what if you were to put somebody down as mixed race or something and they said, actually, I'm not mixed race, I take gross offence to being called that? have got 17 categories and they can pick from the card. And actually, one of the people that stuck in my mind that was really... You know, so sensible. He was mixed race. Um, somebody said, you know, he said, it just makes me sick that this is, you know, everyone is being asked for this. It's gone completely mad. It's gone completely PC. So I think a lot of these people in the establishment in brackets live in this world, whereas most ordinary people just want somebody that can do a job and do it properly, regardless of what they're like. But it causes division and um between people of different groups because it's being stirred up all the time by the establishment. Mm. It really is a nightmare. But listen, Natasha, great call. Thank you so much. And exactly what I was looking for in terms of the old Valentine's Day, getting a plastic yellow flower hurled up at her uh, at the window.
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are here, of course, all the way through until one o'clock when Matthew Wright takes over. Dan Wooten uh, comes in at four o'clock and then next week, Dan Wooten is here every single day on drive from four until seven. And he's going to be joining me next week on breakfast uh, because I'm going to be here filling in for Julie Hartley Brewer, uh, who's tootled off on her holidays uh, to do a bit of skiing, I believe, uh, which is all very nice because it is half term, of course. Uh, I'm going to not take my children skiing uh, on the grounds that it's too expensive and they don't deserve it. They're going to have to come to London instead uh, and get up very early in the morning and come to work with me. That's what they're going to do. And that's the way it should be. However, we may not even be here on Monday because there's a massive storm coming up uh, over the weekend. It's, it's I was going to say Hurricane Denny. It's not Hurricane Denny. It's uh, Storm Dennis. OK, and let's talk to Sarah Thornton now, who's from uh, Weather Trending, to find out how bad it's going to be. Sarah, very good morning to you. Morning to you. Morning, morning. Now, um, apparently, I'm being told that this could be worse than last weekend, which was pretty bad, I have to say. Well, it depends what you mean by worse. The thing about Storm Dennis is it's going to be slightly different to Storm Kira because Kira was all about the wind strength. And, of course, we saw a number of trees down, uh, some fatalities as well, power outages, that kind of thing. Storm Dennis is... It's going to be windy, not quite as windy as Kira, though, but really this one's going to be about rain. So we're going to be looking at flooding, I think, as being one of the key disruptive elements from the storm. It comes in, well, to be honest, there's rain starting to come into northwest now and it's looking its way southeastwards through this evening. Uh, that's not actually Storm Dennis, but that rain is going to kind of linger around into tomorrow and then it kind of interacts with Storm Dennis as that comes in through the day tomorrow. So the winds start to pick up later this afternoon and evening and then tomorrow. I think we will see wind gusts in excess of 70, perhaps along the coast, 80 miles an hour uh, through the weekend, but it is the rain. And that's why we've got a number of Met Office weather warnings for Storm Dennis, including amber warnings for the potential for some flooding. Yeah, right. Because one of the things that struck me about last weekend, and last Sunday in particular, was it seemed to be affecting almost every part of the country. I drove up from Sussex up to London sort of late afternoon because I thought I'd rather do it in the daylight. And I hit what can only be described as a wall of rain uh, as I approach London, the like of which I've never seen before. I mean, it was literally like dry. I've said this before. It was like driving inside a waterfall. Yeah, but you see, the thing about that rain was it was intense. We had some really, really, really tremendous rainfall totals, but it happened all in a very short space of time, whereas what's going to happen with Dennis is the rain comes in, we have a lot of it through tomorrow, and then especially in the south and southeast, uh, that lingers into Sunday. So we have a lot of rain over a more sustained period of time. And, you know, the rivers are going to respond to that. We've also got some really high tides as well, seven-metre tides along the south coast on Sunday, for instance, combined with some very, very strong winds along the coast, so some overtopping. So it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be disruptive, I think, and it's going to be dreadful, I think, through the weekend, certainly in feel at times. But it's going to be a different beast to Kira. The problem with Kira, though, of course, is that, as I say, it brought a lot of trees down, etc., etc., and it caused some damage. And so the wind strengths are not quite as strong from Dennis, but where you've got already that damage from last weekend, that's why we could see further trees yeah. down and that kind of thing as well. And of course, because the ground's so saturated, that affects the roots of the trees yeah. and it makes them easier to dislodge. So are we likely to be told not to travel again like we were last Sunday and, and, and trains will be cancelled and all that kind of thing? No, I, I mean, yes and no. I think it's not going to be quite as strong in terms of those wind speeds because we knew that uh, Kira was going to bring those immense wind speeds that we saw. And, of course, that brought the trees onto the, onto the lines and it brought trampolines onto train lines and that kind of thing where they've not been tethered down. So perhaps the wind's not quite as strong as all that. But, as I say, you could still see other disruption, particularly from the flooding. I think that's going to be a really key issue. That's why the Met Office weather warnings in the amber, that's that second tier of warning stage, a more severe warning. They're all for the rain rather than the strength of the winds. But there are numerous warnings, as you say, like last weekend flight across the UK because sometimes you see these warnings and they're pretty targeted to one specific corner. Uh, this again, the whole of the UK affected one way or the other. 
Great stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Sarah Thornton there from Weather Trending. So perhaps not a quite as bad as last weekend, uh, but it will still be pretty bad in different places. So be careful uh, what plans you're making for being out and about. Uh, we're going to talk now uh, to Tamsin Durstin, who is from uh, Dogs Trust, and she's the behaviour officer there, because one of the things that, of course, you will know if you are uh, a dog owner uh, or if you've got any kind of pets at all, um, you know, wacky and wild weather like this is not always something that they welcome. Uh, Tamsin, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Hello. I mean, my dog, right, will we'll, we'll take one look out the back door um, and just sort of shake his head and come back inside and won't even go in the garden when it's really, really blowy. Oh, bless him. I mean, I think it's really important that you recognise that he really doesn't want to go out. Yeah. And actually, the thing to do is to not make dogs go outside if they don't want to. Because yeah. they're communicating to you, I really don't like it. And yeah. it could be... I mean, I'm thinking of my friend Sonny, who's a greyhound. He works with us at, at, in the Dogs Trust. Um, and he's very, very frightened of thunder. Mm. So when it starts to rain, for, for poor Sonny, he thinks it might thunder, right. and he just wants to hide away. So mm. we would advise for any dog that really doesn't want to go out, make sure they've got a nice cosy den to hide in. Make sure that you, you know, let them choose what to do. So don't drag them out if they really don't want to go. So people shouldn't and worry about the fact that, oh, but I have to walk him every day. If, I don't, if he doesn't get two miles no. every day, it's a problem, you know? No, it's not. But what you can do instead, I mean, some dogs will want to hide away and that's fine. Just let them. But if they don't, if they, if they want to play, um, you can do lots of things inside the house to distract them from the, from the rain and the wind. Yeah. Scattering treats around, playing with their toys, hide and seek, hiding their toys, getting them to find them, doing little bits of training. I mean, we've got loads of training videos on our website, dogstrust.org.uk, and an advice page on there for people whose pets are struggling with the thunder and rain. Okay. And what about other types of, uh, of pets as well? Because I know you're the Dogs Trust, but, I mean, presumably, um, while other, other animals which are outside might also be looking to get inside, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, at Dogs Trust, obviously, we love dogs, but we extend our compassion and love to everyone, you know, all pets and yeah. all animals. And, yeah, I mean, if you've got gardens or sheds, you know, you could put boxes out and things for wildlife. Make sure, you know, that we're extending our love on Valentine's Day to all pets and all animals. Um, but actually, from a dog's point of view and also wildlife, just be aware that flood water in particular, as your um, weather person was saying just then, it could have raw sewage in yeah. it in, in some areas and it could be toxic for, for dogs as well, for pets like dogs yeah. who like to go swimming and splashing about. So if you are going out with your dog, if they're happy to go outside, keep them on lead, make sure you've got an ID tag on them so they're safe and, and perhaps change where you're walking so that you are keeping everybody yeah. safe. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, my, my dog's in the country, so we, we take them to a lot of woods and things like that. But at the moment, some of them mm. are so muddy, which he loves, yeah. but which we, you know, can barely walk around on. So, I, I mean, also, luckily enough, we're quite near the beach, but he likes the beach. But obviously, you That's have to be nice. careful... When the when the when the surf is really strong and the surf is up, and I intend not to let him go on the beach when it's that strong, you know. Yeah, absolutely, and that's where staying in and maybe playing some fun games inside, like as I say, you know, scattering their food for them to find, and that can also take their mind off things yeah. as well. And a great way to connect with your dog, and or even just you know curling up on the sofa yeah. and watching a good film together. Well, he does like that. He does like to do that, and he also uh, he could quite happily stare at the oven. <clears throat> while a chicken is cooking for the entire duration of the chicken cooking. <laughs> well, he, he sort of guards the chicken. <laughs> have a nice dinner. <laughs> and how old is Ziggy? Is he's he six. Boy? He's six is now. He? So, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's relatively mature, but he's still, you know, he's still a bit, uh, he's still a bit immature at times. Oh, bless him. It's just because um, in our centres we care for, sadly, we have some older dogs mm. that we're trying to find homes for, and they can sometimes feel a bit stiffer when it's yes. colder outside and rainy. So anybody who's listening with an older dog, you know, perhaps, you know, think about keeping them in, make sure they're warm, um, and doing some different types of activity with them as well. Don't take them out in the cold okay. and the rain. All right, great advice. Tamsin, thank you very much indeed. Uh, so you, you can stay safe during the course of this weekend. There will be uh, a, quite a big storm coming, and it will be lasting over the course of the next two or three days by the sounds of things. So just uh, be aware of that. Uh, be aware of the fact that, you know, there has been a lot of rain recently and a lot of trees uh, might be sort of at risk of coming down. And I'm not quite sure what the travel advice is going to be uh, on the trains yet, but as soon as we find out what that is and as soon as 
as we find out uh, what is going on with that. We know that there are several landslides already in parts of southern England, but uh, we'll bring you all the latest news on that right here on Talk Radio because that's what we do. Uh, we are not only the home of common sense, we're also the home of great information. Go on to YouTube right now, though. Uh, like us and subscribe to us, please, uh, as well as watching us because uh, the numbers are going up every single day, uh, which is only a good thing. And we'll be doing more and more TV stuff and more YouTube stuff as we go. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, as if things weren't bad enough in this day and age when we're being taxed up the wazoo, George Osborne, who was meant to be a Conservative Chancellor, brought in more taxes for small businesses in this country than any Chancellor prior uh, to, to that year and prior, I think, to even the last century. We are now paying more taxes on our income. We are paying more taxes on our VAT. We are paying more taxes on our green uh, efforts. When you fly out on an aeroplane, you're paying green taxes. You're paying green taxes now to your uh, electric company, your gas company. Let's talk to Harry Fone, uh, a man who is uh, very much after my own heart because he is about exposing the waste of money that our local councils are getting involved in. Harry, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon, Mike. Now, it doesn't surprise me that we've got at least, just off the top of our heads, about a handful of these kinds of cases. But there's one that I spotted this morning which particularly enraged me was Wolverhampton, Wolverhampton Council spending £17,639 sending staff on jollies to the south of France. Now, I can't understand how this could be of any benefit whatsoever to the good tax-paying people of Wolverhampton. Yeah, absolutely. They argue it's because they go to this conference and that brings in loads of inward investment into Wolverhampton. But I think if they're going to do that, they've got to show some figures to back this up. They've got to prove to people that they're actually bringing more money than they're sending out. Interesting to note that last year, council tax went up by 5% in Wolverhampton and this didn't exactly help. Mm. You know, taxpayers do not expect, you know, fat cat council bosses to be going on jollies to the south of France. They want to see them, you know, at home working hard to produce the best frontline services possible for residents. Well, of course, and a lot of people don't really understand how councils work because actually a lot of the councillors, more often than not, are actually not bad at doing their jobs because they're elected and they can be de-selected and, and, and kicked out of office if they don't do the job properly. And also they don't really charge an awful lot of money. However, in this particular case, it was one councillor and three other officials who actually went uh, down to the south of France and spent 10 grand on accommodation and expenses uh, and another trip where two officers spent five and a half thousand quid. You know, they don't need to send that many people, surely, do they? Absolutely. I mean, nice job if you can get it. Mm. I mean, we, we publish a document every year called the Town Hall Richlist, and what this looks at is the salaries of council bosses earning over £100,000, and they're quite staggering, frankly. You know, there are some people that earn way more than the Prime Minister does. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is every year the number of people in council being paid more than £100,000 is going up and up and up. So we're paying these people more, but what we're hearing on the ground, I mean, we were in Herefordshire last week campaigning against council tax rises, and what they were saying to us is, well, look, we're paying more money, these guys are getting huge salaries, but we're not seeing the services. We feel like we're getting, you know, lower quality yeah. services. And people are very upset about that, and quite understandably. Well, indeed. And whenever we talk to people from the local government association, which is the sort of, you you know, governing body overarching all the councils in England and Wales, I think, um, they always say, oh, well, of course, the problem is, is that we're getting less money from central government. But what they don't say is that by far and away the biggest plank of their expenditure, and I use that word advisedly, is salaries and pensions. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the thing. They're always claiming, oh, our, you know, our budget's cut to the bone. Yeah, and it is true to say they've had cuts in central government funding, but there are plenty of councils we found that have coped with this admirably. And as you say, mm. when you see stories like this, there clearly is plenty more fat left to trim from their budget. Quite. Because, I mean, looking at some of the other things, I mean, this one made it onto our show Plank of the Week the other week. Shropshire Council uh, hired somebody as a consultant for £1,000 a day uh, to look at potholes, not to fix potholes, but just to identify them. Yeah, so I've actually had a colleague look at this. So um, as I understand it, they were paying this guy £130,000 for six months to analyse potholes. Um, there are 3,500 potholes unfilled in Shropshire. Now, we've worked out... Highways England says it costs about £40 to repair a pothole. Right. So with £130,000, they could have repaired 3,250 <laughs> potholes. Right. Instead of which, all they've done is identify them. I mean, it beggars belief. Because who do they answer to, uh, these people? I mean, if, if say, for example, Shropshire Council, Shropshire Council decided to, to do something like that, do they have to just pass it through a council meeting or something? It's a good question, and, and transparency is sadly lacking in this, and it's, it's only usually, you know, thanks to 
efforts of the Taxpayers Alliance and journalists and freedom of information mm. requests that we get any any of this information. It's not always sort of freely made available. No. Um, but yeah, this is this is the thing. It, I, I think the public feel very disconnected from what's happening in their local councils, and and this is what the TPA tries to do is bring much more transparency into this into this area. Well, quite because according to uh, a story I'm reading here, Shropshire is looking to save 14 million quid to balance the books. Well, they're not going to do that if they're spending 130 grand on a pothole uh, consultant, are they? No, exactly. And you know, people will say, well, you know, in the scheme of things, it's a relatively small sum of money compared to the millions and billions that go on in councils. But, you know, if, if you're wasting money in this way, it doesn't bode well for the rest of the council budget. Uh, and, and I say this is why we're always travelling all over the country. I mean, for example, as I said, we were in Herefordshire last weekend. Mm. You know, they're putting council tax up by the maximum of 4%, despite the fact they've got £230 million in reserves. Right. Also own a company um, that provides services to uh, public and private companies, but that company's lost 1.8 million pounds um, in just eight years of operating. Mm. So it, you know, it doesn't really inspire confidence that they know how to manage our money. Centers. No, that's right, and that's also you touched on an interesting point there. The money that some of these councils have in reserve. Now, what is that supposed to be for, and what are they allowed to do with it? It's very, again, this is another area where the rules are not crystal clear. They're, they're more mm. guidelines than anything. But yeah. the idea is it's a rainy day fund. Some of these reserves may be for capital expenditure, say a bypass, for example. And again, in Herefordshire, they supposedly have this money for a bypass, but they haven't actually bought the bypass. Right. Um, but in my own council of Milton Keynes, I mean, they have such huge reserves now that basically, even if the council got no money in for a year from any source, they would still be able to operate for a year. And I think it was Eric Pickles a number of years ago who said that, you know, councils have got to start you know, spending these reserves. And they don't necessarily need to release that many to help keep council tax down every year. You know, in some cases, you're only talking two, three, mm. four million pounds, and then council tax doesn't have to go up. No, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Milton Keynes Council because apparently they uh, are refurbishing their civic offices for £315,000. And one of the things they've decided to do is to uh, completely keep... Uh, moss growing on one of the walls on the inside of the building, which doesn't even sound hygienic to me, never mind anything else. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a picture of it. It looks quite ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it supposedly is part of their green credentials to cut carbon or something like this. But um, what also should, should be remembered, that is that is part of an office refurbishment that's already gone £8 million over budget. Right. Um, £8 million. So, you know, Eight million, yes, uh, and I'm not even sure if that's the final cost yeah. because there were costs to move staff out of the office while they did that into private offices, and I don't think that's fully been accounted yet. But yeah, these are, these are just the ridiculous ways that councils spend money, and all the time, you know, you you read about you know children's social services are suffering, adult social services are suffering, and you know the, the money is is clearly not being diverted to the priority services. No, quite. And what's happening with this money that Boris Johnson's promising um, for various different regions? You know, the five billion figure that he's going to use to spend on increasing buses uh, and buying more buses and creating more cycle lanes all over the place. Does that go via the councils or is that done some other way? That was a good question. I'm not entirely sure. I suspect they will see some of the money, but they'll probably be told you've got to use it specifically for this. I mean, yeah. again, it's, it's like that bypass I mentioned in Herefordshire. They are giving the money for spe specifically for a thing and they're supposed to use it for that. Right. But to date, that has not been done. But I imagine in this, the government will be putting immense pressure on them that, you know, you must do this to, to have this money. Um, otherwise, I think they can take it back off them if they want to. Because that is the terrifying thing, isn't it? When you look at the council tax that you pay and you then break down how much of that council tax actually goes towards your local fire department or your police department or your schools you know or your or your actual bin collection it's a very small proportion of the total um and the rest of it is just going to pay these people in the council uh, that waste all this money brighton and hove council i'm told here uh, have hired a new brexit communications officer so that they can uh, help people who might have inquiries about brexit really yeah, it's quite frankly ridiculous. I think they were getting paid £35,000 a year or something yeah. like that um, to sort of make people feel more welcome post-Brexit, you know, uh, people from, from outside the country. But even though immigration... Uh, well, they going to just stand around on the... Walk up, well, they just walk up and down the, the promenade and sort of, you know, stand there and say, would you like to be welcome to Brighton? <laughs> Yeah, it's just completely ridiculous. I think this is also a council that invested in the I-360 um, oh, yeah. tourist attraction down there, and that, that's they're on the hook there for millions of pounds again. You know, is that the little mini sort of London Eye thing that they've got? Yeah, I'm sure it broke down a number of times yeah. when, they, when they first 
launched it. But uh, again, the council given um, a loan or something like that to the tune of millions of pounds. Mm. And the company that was loaned the money are now struggling to pay it back because not enough people have gone to the um, the i three sixty. So you know, another example of councils. You know, they, they're trying to be commercial giants. Mm. They're trying to think they're the Elon Musk of the world, and then <laughs> failing miserably. Well, because they don't understand commerce. Basically, I mean, all they really understand in in uh, uh, in places like town councils and and local councils is that you know, oh, here's a big contract. I can give it out to somebody. And once I've given it out to them, uh, they won't have to worry about anything anymore because they'll just spend and spend and spend and spend. And it's just ridiculous. They have no concept of actual commerce. They have no concept of, of people bidding for contracts. And what they do is they'll sometimes go, oh, but we gave the contract to the people who bid the smallest amount. And then the, bid that, the people that bid the smallest amount then end up spending twice the amount they bid for um, and the council just pays them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, procurement is a is a huge issue at both local and national level, and something that um, you need know, drastic overhaul. Don't get me wrong; I'm not all doom, doom and gloom on councils. There are some councils that are doing a very good job, really? Mike, and I should draw attention. Well, to those. please yeah, do. Um, Go on. Yeah, I mean, so what a number of councils now are doing is they're sharing resources, they're sharing their staff. Um, so that you know, they'll share a chief executive, for example, across two neighbouring councils. So, say that person is getting paid one hundred and fifty thousand pounds. It's effectively and I use the term loosely, only £75,000 spread across the two councils rather than having two chief executives earning £150,000 each, for example. They're doing sort of similar things with social care and stuff like that. But um, um, sadly, those are, um, you know, diamonds in the rough. And by and large, most councils are still money and there's plenty of fat left to trim from their budget. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, listen, uh, we can only continue to fight the good fight, Harry, and I appreciate your efforts in that regard. And We should talk more about this. We might even have to find some kind of, you know, hopeless Council of the Week award or something like that uh, and see if we can, uh, you know, get that written into stone in some way. Harry Phone, grassroots campaign manager of the Taxpayers Alliance. I think I like the idea of that. We could, cause, I mean, we've already had Shropshire Council make it onto Plank of the Week uh, for their pothole scenario. Uh, I wonder whether there's something in, actually, rewarding each week one particular council for wasting the most money and being completely and utterly ridiculous. I think that might work quite well. Do let us know. 0344 499 We're going to take some calls coming up next. Many of you want to get on. You will all get on, of course, because this is the voice of the people. It's the only place, Talk Radio, where you hear common sense, where we actually represent you, the people out there, rather than the sort of, you know, ridiculously um, fettered elites uh, of Westminster or uh, of... Uh, academia uh, or indeed of places like the BBC where nobody actually lives in the real world and they all wander about thinking they know better than everybody else. Well here at Talk Radio we know who knows better than everybody else and it's you lot out there. 0344 499 1000 is the number. You can follow us of course uh, on Twitter at uh, Talk Radio. Uh, you can also of course follow us on YouTube where you watch us, you like us, you subscribe to us and everything just gets better and better. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's Valentine's Day, it's 12.32 and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. It's not new music, however, it is, I'm delighted to say, uh, Marta Malagon, who is uh, the presenter today, this week, of the Perrier Awards. Marta, a very good afternoon and welcome. Very good afternoon. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having me here. Not at all. It's an absolute pleasure, I can assure you. Thank you very much. It's uh, much, much, much more uh, of a pleasure than it normally is, shall we put it that way? Well, I, I can't imagine why. No, me neither. Um, Anyway, good afternoon and welcome mm. to the Perrier Awards. Yes. This is where we look over the past week of the so-called so Independent Republic of My Grand Montauk Radio yes. and choose our favourite moments. Mm. Then, obviously, after yesterday's reshuffle, Cornelius Mendes has been made Secretary of State for Commonwealth Affairs <laughs> and is currently preparing a tour of Australia, yeah, good. believe it or not. And, uh, you know, I've obviously been promoted to Chancellor. Quite long term. Everyone knew that I was... Uh, you're very in. good with money, aren't you? I am very good with yeah. money. I'm very good at spending it. <laughs> Just not on the right things. Right. Anyway, here I am. And as it's the tradition, Mike, the first parry goes to you. It's one you've won before. Oh, yes. It doesn't get old. Mm. Uh, Meghan Markle yes. wins you Impression of the Week. What the good news is, I can tell you, though, uh, is that Meghan uh, and Harry have been doing what regular families do, uh, making homemade baby food <laughs> for Archie. Isn't that nice? For Archie. Archie. 
I just love it. You do it all the time. I, I just I kind of fall into it somehow. I don't know why. I know. It kind of do sounds you, like her as well. It does, and that's the scary thing. Do I you know. do that as well when you're like talking to normal people, not on the radio? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I find that I do that too as well, and it's because <laughs> I listen to you. Yes. But anyway, on Wednesday, we spoke to Jonathan Radcliffe, a lawyer who came in to talk about how to trademark and oh, yes. pattern your inventions. That is, if you ever got any. Um, not in my case. Hmm. Anyway, Jonathan wins the parry of a shout-out of the week. I would say that the word plank, as in plank of the week. Yeah. So shout-out to plank of the week show, mm. Mike Graham. Very good. That's the most marketing we, we didn't even we've ask. Yeah, it is really good, while, isn't it? Yeah. We didn't, and he's a lawyer as well. They don't yeah. really do anything for nothing. No, but there you go. But he did. Out of the goodness of his heart, uh, and for the same interview, uh, Mike, you win question of the week. What if you had invented something like the wheelie bin, for example? <laughs> <laughs> Why is that not an invention? Well, it is an invention. It's just like a, an odd thing to bring yes. up. I suppose so. I think maybe I meant trademark, maybe more than invent. Yes. Because I guess if you invent the wheelie bin. Um, you have to license it out for people to make them. I don't know if any one company makes it. Well, to be honest, I don't know, but no. I guess that you would probably come up with the design yes. and the way of making All it. All I'm saying is is that, you know, there was a time when we didn't have them, but now they're everywhere. Yeah, you keep saying that, yeah. but I, I, I don't believe that. I know that you're too that. young to remember yeah. it. We used to just have those <laughs> tin, you know, like metal bins, and a oh, man yeah. would come and he would pick it up, put it over his shoulder and tip it into the back of the, the garbage truck. Right? See, I've only seen that in films. Right, well, you, <laughs> all you got to do is talk to me. <laughs> Free history lessons available here. It's like when you told me about um, plastic water. bottle water. Yeah, and you couldn't believe there was a time when we didn't <laughs> no. have it. No. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, well. Anyway. The more you learn. On the show. Um, talk Radio's entertainment correspondent, Josh Rom, oh, yes. popped in on Monday to go through the Oscars mm. um, with us, and he did an amazing job, he as did. always. And he also won a pair of foot noise of the week. We only really started in November... Well, September, think, November. You don't think three months is too long for an award season? I mean, it's a quarter of the year, for heaven's sake. I mean, that's like... That's like <laughs> <laughs> that was a very strange noise. It's I like, forgot about it's that. It's like one of those um, kettles that you put yeah. on the, on the, on or, the stove. Or, or some, some air coming out of a tyre or something. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, bless him. Yes, well, he was very tired. Yeah, bless him. He'd been and, up all night. And, you know, we're sending him our, our best wishes. I was yes, just talking do. to him and he's not been feeling very well Well, this he week. was overworked, probably. Yeah, and is also it? probably coronavirus. He could have that. Because, you know... Yeah, he could know, have that. It is possible. That's no laughing matter, of course. It is not a laughing matter. No, certainly not. But, uh, well, we hope it is not coronavirus. Well, let's hope so, yeah. But, you know, it could mm. well be. You okay. never know. HS2. HS2. You know, another big story another for us. Another favourite of ours. It's been uh, huge for the last few years. It's been huge um, this week, mm. now that, you know, it's got the go-ahead. We invited Sim Harris, the editor of Rail News, uh, to talk about it on the show, and he provided the clarification of the week. Yes. Are you one of those people who are happy today that this is all going ahead? Well, first of all, let me just clarify, we're not a magazine, by the way. We are the industry's newspaper. So, no. no. Well, I hope we don't get the same problem with the Sunday Times people when they come in. Sunday Times, well... When they say, they well, are, you know, technically it's a magazine, but it's also a newspaper. They are a magazine, and it's also a weekend thing. I don't know. But I've got to put a hand up, because we introduced him as Rail News Magazine, yes. which is what we were told it right. was. And apparently... Um, it's not it. It's a newspaper. But, you know, don't worry about it. Okay. You know, we've been issued incompetent reports, okay. all of us, behind, behind the glass, and we're always happy to correct our mistakes. Mm. Uh, Tim Harris um, also won another parry for coming up with the what of the week. Except that in Britain we are having to do a lot more in the way of ameliorating. Good word, that. It um, is a good word. Very well done. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all very well saying ameliorated, which we all know that is a, is a very good word. Yeah. But you don't then congratulate yourself for saying it, do you? Yeah, that was a bit, I thought... I'd say that's a little bit... It's um, like laughing at your own jokes. It is like laughing at your own jokes and con but, a bit self-congratulatory. Yeah, well, mm. maybe maybe he doesn't have anyone else who would congratulate him. Maybe on, so, on things, maybe so. Know? It is a good word, though. It is a very good word. We should try and get it into every show. That's... Uh, ameliorated. Ameliorated. Yeah. Well, that's a challenge for you, well, isn't it? I can it? do it, yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Okay. Okay, well... Um, Not a problem. Do you think you can get it in in the next section? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Challenge accepted. Mm. Another pair for you, Mike. Um, Thank you. You were uh, speaking to um, Ian in Somerset. That's um, Ian in Somerset. In Somerset. In Somerset. Anyway, you won the parry for Detective Skills of the Week. So no, I agree. I mean, in your in if you're in Somerset, which I assume you are, um, yes. you're... 
<laughs> he was in Somerset. He was. Well, that, to be fair, it doesn't always uh, tally with what it says on the screen. Yeah, to be fair, that is true. I mean, I have had this before, haven't I, when I've said to somebody, so Ian's in Somerset, and then they go, actually, no, I'm not in Somerset, I'm somewhere else. Yeah. And sometimes it is our fault. Sometimes. And by that, I mean Con's fault. But very rarely. Very rarely, yeah. I think but the problem is the system sometimes comes up with a location when the person was the last time they rang in. You know what it does as well? Right? Like, unknown calls um, come located as Bedford. Bedford? Well, maybe they're all coming from Bedford. Why that is? No, because you, then you talk to them and then you're like, oh, no, I'm um, so-and-so in London. And you're like, oh, right. okay, it shows Bedford. They it's could like, be lying, of course. Sometimes people don't tell you exactly where they are for fear of being found out. Like in Hunted. Well, well, I don't know about Hunted, but, you know, like, watch, um, they might be worried their wife is listening and their <laughs> oh, wife thinks no. they're in London, and so they say they're in London. You know why I say that? Because uh, I watched Hunted for the uh, <laughs> very first time last night, and right. I thought, this is great. Isn't that the thing that Blexley does, Peter yes. Blexley? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, you know, I need to talk to him about we it. We should get him on again soon. Because also, I didn't really... Um, no, it was Hunted. I thought it was Haunted. Haunted? So <laughs> That's a different show. <laughs> so whenever we got him on, I thought, does he investigate like yeah. ghosts? Ghosts. <laughs> there are people that do that. I know. Yeah. But I just couldn't quite understand why uh, mm. Peter Blexley would do that. Maybe Haunted and Hunted. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Hunted, Haunted. I'll ask him uh, next okay. time we call him. All right. Uh, anyway, earlier in the week, we wondered whether uh, tofu is more harmful to the environment than meat. We were joined by Jason Salisbury, uh, who's a dairy farmer at Suffolk Farmhouse Cheese, and he won the perrier for having the healthiest cows. Um, our cows here are milked by robots, so um, they they can't walk two yards before I know exactly where they're going. They've all got Fitbits around their necks. They've all got Fitbits? Yeah. I, I, that must be a big Fitbit, surely. Well, it must be like, like an ankle tag, I guess. You said it's around their necks, though. Oh, that's true. That's a huge, Oops. that's a Fitbit the size of, you know, a or beach ball. Or maybe they're wearing like a chain, you know, like a necklace. Does and it, then the, it doesn't the work Fitbit like that, though, does like... it? Doesn't the Fitbit have to be actually on a strap around you? Well, it depends on whether it's, it's got... So if, if it's only for location, mm. then it doesn't matter. Right. But if it's one of those that reads your heart rate as and well... And steps and all that. How many steps you've done as a cow? Yeah, well, but the steps, you know, funny thing, the steps, it's just calculated. Uh, but how many by, flights of stairs? how you move. <laughs> so I figure that, because I've got a fair right. bit, right? And if you do this with your arm, yeah. which people can't see at home, I've just realised right. we're still on the radio. No, no, you're, no, you're on YouTube. Yeah, but, you know, if you're listening on the yeah, radio, yeah. radio. Right. Anyway, if you wave your arm, like, yes. to say hello yes. to someone... Then he'll count that as a step. Does it? So I used to cheat the system a Did lot. Did you? Because I would have you these... You used to walk around waving your arms. <laughs> yeah, or I would just like this sitting on the sofa. And he would say, oh, time to move, because mm. he's got, like, alerts that are very okay. annoying. This is and why I, would I don't just have one. wave my arms. Ah, and then that's good enough. <laughs> yeah. But the thing about Shuts cows is they don't move very much. So, I mean, you could just watch them, couldn't you? You need to put them on a Fitbit, perhaps. I didn't... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll have Sounds to get like on again. Sounds like an interesting place, that. Maybe we should go down there and, and check out the cheese-making facilities because... I would um, love to do that. Not only do we like cheese, but also I'm quite interested in this robot that milks the cows. Yes. I'd like to see that. <laughs> well, there you go. We'll, we'll, we'll get Jason on, on the line yeah. and we'll see if we get, we'll we'll get an invite there, to do maybe. a show from there. Yeah. yeah, you never know. We've done shows from Westminster. We have. We can do shows By from the way, up. I can give you some exclusive information on that. I think oh. we may be going back down there oh. sometime soon. You That's know, it's good. back on the agenda, supposedly. Well, I'll get my thermals out. Please. Because it gets cold down there. Yeah. And um, speaking of uh, being in the cold, um, off to Julia Hartley breakfast. Um, she wins a perrier for Means Pronunciation of the Week. OK. Brendan O'Neill is editor of Spagged Online. And... Spagged? <laughs> Spagged Online. As is Spaghetti Bolognese Online. Oh, yes, right. <laughs> so she means spiked online. Yes. You, I mean, as I often say to anyone who, who makes fun of us for mispronouncing things, we do say an awful lot of words. And you it's quite say, surprising yeah. that, we mis, that we don't mispronounce more of them. Yeah, but it's still funny and we're still going to keep making of course, fun of you. Absolutely. Like, I make mistakes all the time. Of course, absolutely so, right. I'm, I'm just terrified uh, now that listening back to the, some, some of the state of my voice this week. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. finally returned pretty much to normal, but it was not good for two days, I have to say. So I apologise for that. Oh, no, it's, I mean, it was fine. I do have to say, because we're awful horrible people. Um, <laughs> you were all laughing. We've been laughing. Of course you have. <laughs> but, but you know we love you, Dave Dan, you know. I can take and, it, and, it's all right. Know. 
I can absolutely take it. Um, any addition to the Perry Awards uh, long list of winners? Yes. Um, Talk Radio's political correspondent Charlotte Ivers mm. wins the Freudian slip of the week. Mm. Unheard of for ministers to just sit for hours and hours in mm. the waiting room of Drowning Street. <laughs> Drowning Street. <laughs> That's very good. Is that the first one she's won? I don't, yes. I think it is. Yes, well it done, is. Charlotte. It is definitely. So welcome to the Perry uh, Awards <laughs> family. And you know, what a Certainly way to get in. Certainly true for Sajid Javid. Well, oh. You know, he didn't make it. He didn't make it out of the drowning pool, did he? No, he didn't. No. But you know, he's a happy man now. Yes. He's done the right thing. Um, he says. And finally, Mike, uh, we're coming full circle. Yes. And we're giving you the last Perry reward Marvellous. of today's edition. Thank you. You win it for the modesty moment of the week. Mm. Well, I think I think the time has come uh, for the tide to turn, and I think the tide is turning a bit, thanks to uh, places like Talk Radio, thanks to Julie Hartley Brewer, thanks to me, <laughs> thanks to me. <laughs> Very true. It's okay, guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Dan Wooden said so in The Sun today. He did. Uh, that he's been in awe of what we've been doing and he's now mm. going to join us uh, in his quest. We may have to get Dan Wooden in the Perriers next week. Oh, okay. Well, we'll have to listen out for, you I'll know. take that, I'll take that. Yeah, I listen out. Yeah, way. we'll be listening to his show from four to seven. Yes, every day. And drive them. Yeah, and today. In he's fact, on he's today on. as well. Yeah, yeah so he's absolutely. in today, and then he's going to be on every day, which is going to be great. Tremendous, excellent news. Well, thank you, Martha. Thank you very much. Um, that's all for the pair of awards. Superb. There'll be more next great week. Great job. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.